All right, well, good morning. Uh, today we're going to be continuing on in our series in John uh, entitled The Word. We're going to be wrapping up chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to chapter 16. Uh, we'll be beginning in around verse 17 and then continuing on from there. Uh, we'll also have the verses on the screen or feel free to use a device if you have that uh, and such. Now, I have a confession to, to make. I'm kind of nervous uh, about the message this morning for, for two different reasons. Um, one, I, I'm worried that I'm going to provoke a fight and I'm going to get some death stares uh, this morning. And you'll know that moment very clearly. Um, secondly, I, I'm just nervous because I, I think there's something really key in this passage. And, and I just want to make sure it really comes across. Uh, it's, it's something that's never struck me before as I've read through this together um, because uh, a couple of different things I've, I've looked at separately. But when you look at them together, uh, I think there's this awesome message that it's just my hope I'm able to, to get that out. Uh, and so I want to pray before we go any farther, uh, both from protection from the stairs that will come uh, as well as uh, I just want, you know, the, the word to, to stand on its own and, and the truth in this. So, Father, we come before you. Uh, we thank you. Uh, God, for the day to be here, uh, we thank you that your word is alive and active. Um, Lord, I thank you for the truth within this passage, uh, and I pray that um, it would be clear that you're the one that speak to our hearts, that you would speak to my heart uh, that needs to hear this uh, deeply as well, and that uh, you would use me uh, to be able to share this, even though it's something I need to work on myself. And uh, that you would be glorified and you would empower the change within us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so John chapter 16, we're going to get right into it, uh, beginning of verse 17. Uh, again, this is Jesus, kind of his last teaching before he heads to his betrayal. Uh, and he's been telling his disciples that he's going to be leaving. Uh, and so in verse 17, some of the disciples said to one another, What is this thing he's telling us? A little while and you will not see me. Again a little while and, and you will see me because I'm going to the Father. And they said, What is this that he's saying a, a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. And so he said to them, Are you asking one another about what I said a little while and you'll not see me? And a little while again and you will see me? Uh, truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. And, and, and so he's kind of talking about him being arrested and then the crucifi uh, crucifixion. Uh, him being in the ground for three days. Uh, and so him being gone, the disciples being sorrowful over this. But the world in the sense of the Pharisees and those that wanted to see him dead uh, would be rejoicing. So that's what he's referring to here. So, uh, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. And so he's kind of using this teaching and, and this example uh, of mothers in labor as this pain and this suffering being something that's temporary, something that's, that's going to be there for a little bit, but then this joy is going to kind of overwhelm that, that pain and suffering. And so in that, uh, I don't know what women make such a big deal over labor pain then. And here's the stairs. <laughs> right? Because this verse says you don't remember it anymore. 
So, like, I've stubbed my toe, and it hurts, right? And, and so that's probably equal pain. <laughs> no? Okay, so, so what is this verse saying here then, right? Because if this, true, if this is true, um, the women in this room who've had children shouldn't remember the pain, and there shouldn't be any arguments back and forth about what hurts more, uh, a kidney stone or being in labor. Right? Like that shouldn't be if, if that's true. But what is this passage actually talking about? Mom, is any mom here forgotten the pain from childbirth? Okay. So either there's something wrong with your understanding of Scripture or this means something other than physical pain. And, and so we go into this. Woman in labor, her pain because their time has come. Uh, the word pain here is Strong's G 3077. Uh, which is lupe. It means sorrow, pain, grief, annoyance, or affliction, but really in context of people mourning. It, it is an emotional suffering. You look at any other time this word lupe is used within the New Testament, it's talking about grieving over something, not somebody who's been stabbed or hurt or stubbed their toe. It's not talking about physical pain. It's talking about emotional anguish. And so what it's really referring to is this idea of the, the, the labor has come. And so then there's almost this nervous anxiousness over, I'm, a, I'm facing something really, really difficult now. And I don't know how long it's going to take. And, and there's going to be pain as I go through this. And, and so if it's talking about this emotional addition to labor, because there is this suffering that has to go through, it makes much more sense than when the child arrives and is held in the mother's arms. There is no more emotional pain anticipating something to go, difficult to go through. The difficulty's gone. Right? And now the child is there and rejoicing. There's still some physical pain in that, and that's what is remembered. And that's what men and women fight over. And, and just to clarify, I'm not comparing stubbing a toe to pain, and, and I'm not going there at all. But the concept is this, this emotional pain and sorrow in that now this difficult time has come. Now this thing is, has to be gone through in order for this joy to come. And so what Jesus is really telling his disciples, he's not saying, you're going to be in physical pain because I'm in the grave. He's saying, you're going to be in anguish and suffering just for a season. Because you're not going to know what's going on. But then when the resurrection happens and I reappear to you, your, your joy is going to be so much overwhelming. That, that whole anguish of time, of, of not knowing what's happening, the difficult season will, will disappear because everything then is joy. Everything then is the revelation of God's plan in this. Just like holding a baby signifies that that difficult time is over, there's this joy. We're able to grasp that illustration a little bit. Women maybe more so than men in some things like that. Um, but there's contextually, historically even more uh, that the disciples would have understood at that point. Within the Old Testament, the example of Israel uh, was referred to as uh, a mother being in labor multiple times uh, during times of difficulty as they're in exile. And again, this 
anguish, this emotional anguish was accompanied by physical pain as well. But the worst thing was this, we're in exile. We're cut off from God. He's not protecting us because we've abandoned him or we've chased other gods. We are the ones that have made this mistake and find ourselves in this situation. And, And the anguish would have been like waiting for the promised Messiah. Like when is this rescue going to come? When is this relief going to come? They were crying out and waiting for that promised joy. We find that multiple times within the book of Isaiah. And so as we look at that, I think it relates to us today. You know, he's talking to his disciples, right? And he's saying there's going to be this moment where I I disappear and I'm gone, but I'm coming back. But you're not going to understand it in the moment. And and so it's going to be really difficult for you, right? Right? In the Old Testament, here's this example where in Isaiah it's talking multiple times about the nation of Israel and, and comparing it to a woman being labor and going through this difficult season of, of waiting for the Messiah to come and, and waiting for rescue to come. And, and if we continue those two illustrations and we put ourselves uh, into that situation, do we find ourselves in a time of difficulty? Do we find ourselves in a time of of waiting for the Messiah to come? And I think we can make a connection there, right? We can make a connection and say, well, you know, we ourselves are in this time of, of labor and going through suffering and the emotional pain of this suffering as we wait for Jesus to come back, as we are living in a dark world that's that's difficult, where there's problems, where there's persecution around the globe, wars, violence, uh, abuse, manipulation, uh, sorrows, grief, loss. And so again, I, I, the question comes is like, are we in another labor at this point? And I think scripturally and definitively, the answer is no, we're not. We're not. I, I think if we look at what the nation of Israel within the Old Testament, what they were anticipating was the coming of the Messiah, the, the, the promise of rescue and restoration with God, right? The disciples are sitting there and they're mourning over the loss of Jesus, the Messiah, and they're not understanding in that moment at all what has happened. And the fact that Jesus, in his death, has crushed the serpent's head, that death is no more, sin is no more, that it is finished as he declared on the cross, that chains have been broken, and that the pathway to restoration with God has been thrown open as the curtain was torn. They had no idea that that happened. And so they're going through this unknown anguish until it's revealed to them. The situation that we're currently in, it is finished. It is accomplished. Jesus has conquered the grave and sin. It it is done. We don't have that anguish and that anticipation, if we're in Christ, we don't have that from the Old Testament. We can't compare it. We can't compare it to the disciples. We know that Jesus is conquered. We know that at some point he's coming back. But the relationship that we have now is so far different than the relationship that the disciples had in Jesus' death before his resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because when we come to salvation, we receive the deposit of the Holy Spirit. We receive this God 
in us relationship as we're adopted as children of God through salvation and repentance. We're fundamentally in a different place than they were. And so I think that if we try to compare ourselves uh, and being in labor the way that the disciples were in anguish over the loss of Christ or Israel is in anguish waiting for the Messiah to come, it's like men trying to compare a stubbed toe to labor. Because so much was accomplished with Jesus at the cross. So much with, with the sin being wiped out, the forgiveness of sins were, were, were washed as white as snow. And, and I know it's a strong statement, but I'm, I'm intentionally making this because the resurrection opened the door to the beginning of an entirely new creation. A restoration of humanity's relationship with God through salvation, which we have here and now, even though we live in a fallen world, but we are meant to be lights within that world. As we go through difficulties, we go through difficulties with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, regardless of what that situation is, if we're in Christ. If you're here this morning and, and you are not saved through grace alone, through the forgiveness of your sins and having Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're still in that labor moment. There's still this anguish of suffering without the realization of joy and freedom and forgiveness in grace and mercy. That's still there for people who are in the world. But if we're in Christ, I think it is a mistake for us to compare and feel like we're in a time of suffering that just simply has to be endured until Jesus comes back. I think we can fall into that. Oh, life is difficult. Life is hard. Here comes another contraction that I just have to weather through uh, until that's over. And I'm just trying to hold on until Jesus comes back. And, and then it's going to be sunshine and roses and joy because he's here now and then everything's taken care of. And we can fall into that mindset, but I think it's an incorrect mindset. And Jesus himself uh, illustrates this by continuing on. And again, remember how I was saying, like, I've, I've looked at this passage how many different times, and, and I've separated them in my mind. Like, like here is the passage about a woman in labor, and, and that she's in pain while her time has come. Never understood before really getting into it that it wasn't talking about physical pain uh, until this week. But, but still, that concept of, like, there's suffering, and then joy comes. And, and we're suffering for the disciples, and then joy comes. And in my mind, I've fallen into this, I don't know how many times, like, I'm still in a time of suffering as I wait for Jesus to come back. And then, then I'm really going to be able to have joy. Like, I have moments of joy now, but not like full teleos, complete joy like we've been talking about over the past weeks kind of fallen into that. And, and as I look at this passage now connected as we go into it. So we have the woman in labor talking about a, a time of pain leading to joy where the pain fades away. I've always in my mind connected that we're still in a time of pain and, and that's going to pass away as we go into to heaven. And, and there's some truth to that, right? Like even when it comes to um, women giving birth, you remember the physical pain. The pain doesn't disappear, but it's different. 
There's the physical pain, but then there's this anguish of anticipation or dread of going through a difficult situation. Uh, what I'm saying here this morning is that even though we walk in this fallen world and we have pain sometimes as we go through difficult situations, we should not have the dread of pain. We should not have it rob our joy. And it's connected in this between the mother in labor and this next passage where Jesus talks about prayer. I've always looked at them separately, but when you mash them together, as I believe the Holy Spirit intended, because guess what? They're right next to each other as Jesus is teaching. So he's literally saying here, all right, woman in labor, joy comes. Uh, in verse 23, when the, in that day you will not ask me anything. Truly I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So in that day, when joy comes... He's not talking about at the end of uh, the millennia after his resurrection when he comes back and wipes out sin and death forever. He's not talking about that. He's very clearly saying, in the day when I am resurrected, you will not ask me anything. That, for us, in timeline, happened 2,000 years ago. So we're living in that framework of time. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask in the Father, in my name, he will give you. Until now, uh, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you receive that your joy will be made complete. So I just want to pause here for a second uh, because this is a whole different message, uh, but it's something I just want to quickly address. It says, ask anything in the Father's name and he will give you. This doesn't mean we can be like, okay, Lord, um, can I have a Mercedes-Benz waiting for me outside when I walk out right now? Like, anybody believe with me that's going to happen? I mean, be cool. God could do it, right? And God can provide and he can give blessings in this life. And he can answer prayers like that. But I don't think we should have an expectation that we could ask for anything. Because within the context of Scripture, we find that sometimes prayers aren't answered uh, because we ask with the wrong motives. James 4 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives uh, in order to spend it with on your own passions and desires. In Peter, it tells husbands that your prayers aren't answered uh, because you're not treating your wife in an understanding way. The Our Father prayer, your will be done on earth Instead of, so if we pray anything against God's will, we can't expect it to be answered. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom. And then all these other things are going to be added. And so there's just a framework as we pray that this is not blanket saying, ask God for anything in Jesus' name and he's going to give it. But within the context of the whole of scripture, we understand that as we pray in communion with God the Father... The leading of the Holy Spirit and what God is wanting to do, then we find that we're his co-laborers and co-workers as we pray. And we co-labor and co-work with what he's doing within a given situation. But anyways, he's saying this. Ask anything in the Father's name, he will give you. Um, ask and receive so that your joy may be complete. Again, this is that word teleos. Uh, the Greek word teleos, complete, is uh, perfection or fullness. It's like uh, filling a cup to the brim where it almost is like flowing over. That's what it means to, to be complete. And so what he's saying is on that day when I am resurrected, 
This is going to be happening. You will be able to pray and you will find your joy being completed within this. He's connecting it to the joy that then wipes out that grief and the sorrow that is connected to labor in this dread of going through a difficult situation. It says here, <clears throat> I have spoken these things in verse 25. To you in figures of speech, a time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day you will ask in my name, and I am not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I love this verse. Jesus is saying, ask anything in my name, but I'm not telling you that I'm now going to go to the Father. But you yourself are going to speak to him. I remember as a kid growing up and, and realizing like in some situations I was the favorite kid, right? And if I would go to my parents and ask for something, like I knew I would get it. But in other circumstances, I, I knew like my sister was the one that was better to ask. You know, so if I wanted some cookies or something like that, I, I would go to my sister and be like, hey, could you go ask mom and dad if, if we could have some cookies? And, and she would go because she was cuter. And, and so she would probably get the yes instead of me. And then I would get a cookie because she had more favor with my parents in a situation. Or, or maybe I made some mistakes or I was on a timeout or something. And I'm not going to get a cookie if I'm in timeout. So I have my sister ask. And this is what Jesus is saying, is like, that's not the case. There's this whole aspect within Catholicism where they pray to saints. And this is the whole idea, is like, well, we'll pray to saints or we'll pray to Mary, and then they will pray for us on our behalf to God. Because they're more favored. I, I talked to a Catholic priest on this. He's like, well, they're dead now and they no longer have sins, so they're able to pray better than we can. And so... That's their logic, is like, we'll pray to the saints, and the saints are going to be a better prayer than I am, because they're a saint. And so they're going to have more favor, God's going to like their prayers better, and so they can do it on behalf of us, and so then maybe our prayers have a better chance to be answered. I think that whole thing is debunked right here, where Jesus, God himself, the Son to the Father, is saying... I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. I'm not going to go and be like, hey, you like me better? Could you answer this guy's prayer? What Jesus is saying is that you are loved by the Father as I am loved by the Father. We covered this a week or two ago where he says, as the Father loves me, so I love you. He's saying that we're able to go to God the Father and, and to speak to him in prayer in the same way that Jesus did when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the same way when he went off alone to spend time with the Father. Because of his death and his resurrection, we have the same access. That we don't need Jesus to be a mediator for our prayers. Now, he does mediate for us, as we find in, in Hebrews. And he cares for us. But we have this access that as we go to God, we can do it in this intimacy 
and this connection and this fellowship because we're loved by him, because we've loved Jesus, followed him as our Lord and Savior. The joy that should come with a revelation of this should be overwhelming. Now, I say it that way because I think it's difficult for us at times. And that's why I think Jesus likened the joy of the access to the Father to the joy of a woman who had dreaded going through labor. And even though the remnants of the physical pain might be there, the joy has so far outshone the dread of labor that it has completely dissipated in this joy of holding the child within her arms. It should be the same for us. That as we come to salvation and we come to a realization that we are deeply loved by the Father, so loved by the Father that we don't need the favorite son, Jesus, who's God and the whole Trinity thing, but we don't need the favorite son to go and ask for things for us. That we're so loved by God that, that we've been given access to him as sons and daughters in such an intimate, close way where he can go and, and ask anything in his name. That the joy of realizing that relationship should wipe out the dread of any sorrow or pain that we face within this world. I'm not saying it wipes out the pain. I'm not saying it wipes out the suffering. Because God promises that he's going to use those things in James chapter 1 and in 1 Peter and in Romans 5. He will use those things to, to grow us. But, but the anguish of having to go through a difficult situation, we should not have. And, and I think that's where I myself, I, I struggle deeply with at times. And I think a lot of us do. Because we find ourselves in a difficult circumstance where things aren't going the way that we would like them to go. Or, who was I just talking with? Um, last night, I was um, at the Faith RX thing and we were sharing uh, some testimonies. And... This guy was sharing about one of the first people that talked to him um, about, actually, no, it was like his mother-in-law. Um, he had gotten a flat tire. And, and her response to him was, um, well, if you would have had Jesus, you wouldn't have gotten a flat tire. And I was just like, what? But, but it, I think it illustrates this mindset where we can get into this thing that because we're saved, because God is our Father, we don't deserve for any bad thing to happen to us. We don't deserve for there to be a nail in our tire. Which, we live in a fallen world and roofers roof and nails fall off trucks and flat tires happen, right? But as we go through that experience, I can remember times in my life where I found a nail in my tire and I've had such anger and frustration because now here's something I have to deal with that made the situation so much more difficult. Instead of just like, all right, let me put on the spare, let me go get it repaired, moving on, done. But the emotional and mental anguish that even now I'm like, it seems ridiculous 
that I allowed myself to go through in that moment just because, like, why? I'm so busy. I don't deserve to have a nail in my tire. Doesn't God love me? Wouldn't he protect me? He knows how busy I am. Why do I have to go through this? And I'm kicking the tire, and I'm looking around to see, like, who's the contractor that I can blame and get to pay, you know? And, and all of that is this anguish that I'm adding on top of a difficult situation. And it's something as trivial as a nail in a tire. But how many times do we add this dread or anguish to difficult circumstances that we're going through and, and we rail at the situation or we mourn that the situation is, is there and, and, and we just add on top of something that's already difficult and what this passage is saying is that the fact that we get to go through life with God indwelling us, with this intimate, immediate access to him in heaven through prayer, that this joy and this connection and this relationship should result in, here's a difficult situation with a nail in a tire. Lord, I want to get upset about this, but there's no reason to. Would you help me to have peace and just to go through this? And, and I get to go through this with you. Again, seems like a trivial situation, but the same truth holds when it comes to our marriages, when it comes to our jobs, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to pain that we have in this world, when somebody betrays us, when somebody uh, abuses another person. There is real emotional, physical, mental pain that takes place. I'm not saying those things disappear. I'm promising you that God will work in that situation to strengthen you because he promises that he's going to do that. What I'm saying is that because of a relationship with God, the fact that we can go to him in prayer, the joy of the relationship that we get to go through that situation with him should prevent anything else from being built on top of an already difficult thing because now I can walk through it with him. Now I'm not alone in this. Now I know that he's going to use it. And I think this is a, a really hard thing for us to, to really grasp. But what he's saying here is that uh, your joy, a time was coming. Um, verse 24. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy will be made complete. As we ask and we receive here and now. The, the promise that Jesus is making is that our cup of joy um, will be filled not when Jesus returns and wipes out sin and death and suffering. But here and now. As we walk through this life through pain and through suffering but with him. As we connect with him, as we walk with him through it. As we pray, this prayer is this reminder of this connection that we have, of this relationship that we have where, where we don't have to go to the favorite son and say, hey, could you ask on my behalf? But instead, in Hebrews 4, it says, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. This is the access that Jesus died to give us. That if God the Father was right here and right now, what this passage and Jesus' death means is that we can walk with boldness and say, I need help in this here and now. And yet, 
how timid are some of our prayers? Or how many times do we not pray until we're at the end of ourselves? I find myself with the tire situation and other aspects of life that my first reaction is to rant and to rail and to add on all this unneeded anguish to a difficult situation uh, until the point where I find that I'm so stressed and, and it really over nothing. And, and because of that, I'm acting in a way that is more according to the flesh than according to the spirit. My wife's like, what's going on? And I'm like... I'm so busy, why didn't God protect the tire? And she's like, well, have you prayed? No. <laughs> and then what happens when we pray? Things are brought into a different perspective. That's when we realize the tire is a trivial thing. That's when we realize that if we're facing something that isn't trivial, with pain, abuse, destruction, that if we take the time to pray, it gives us a different perspective on it, and we don't have to go through the suffering of anguish, the fear of pain. We don't have to add all those things on. Instead, it's like, okay, God, this is difficult, but you've got me no matter what happens. You've got me. And then we can walk into those situations with joy. We look at the, the circumstances of missionaries, the, the book Jesus Freak that DC talked about a while ago, and you see how many testimonies of missionaries facing persecution and death, and they do it with joy and singing. John Huss um, was burned alive as a heretic by the Catholic Church in the 1400s, early 1500s, before Luther came, um, as, as a heretic. And he was praising God as the physical pain was there. But he wasn't sitting there saying, God, why? He wasn't questioning everything. He wasn't railing because of this connection that he had with God. Because of this deep peace and joy of understanding, we're able to approach the throne of grace with boldness right now to find mercy and grace and time of help in any need. What this passage is telling us here is that we are in the season of joy because the child has been born. Jesus has been resurrected as the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And that we've been adopted into that same family. Now there is an aspect of us anticipating and waiting for his return where we don't have this anecdotal suffering and pain. But we get to be used by him through all of that. This should be the, the season of joy. This is the time that the prophets of the Old Testament longed to see. When Israel was in Babylon crying out and there would be called a, a woman in labor... What they were laboring over is to see the day that we now live in. Where the relationship with God has been restored. That sacrifices are no longer necessary. That he lives within us. That there's no longer one high priest who enters into the holy of holies one day of year. But rather that holy of holies indwells within us. And we carry it around wherever we go. They couldn't comprehend it back then. They, they wished and longed to see the life 
that we have now and here, that joy that wasn't previously possible. That's the gift that we have in Christ through his death and resurrection, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes it feels hard. So how do we approach hard things? What is our focus supposed to be? And, and as I was contemplating this and, and thinking of just some different verses that kind of point to like where our focus should be and, and, and which is true. If we're focused on the difficulty of our situation, then we're going to have anguish over the difficulty of our situation. If in the midst of a difficult situation our focus is on Christ, then we have that peace that protects our minds that is beyond understanding and our focus is our relationship with him while we go through it and our experience is completely different. It's kind of what I was talking about last week when I was talking about those squats and having to do them until failure and that if my mind was just on how much my muscles hurt and burned, it got worse and it got worse until I wanted to quit earlier. But if I, in that, I put it in my mind of, and, and I've envisioned things, and this may seem ridiculous, but, but sometimes I'll envision Jesus right next to me holding the same bag, and him and I are just doing it together. And just in visualizing him doing something with me helps get my focus off the difficulty and onto him, and it becomes easier. We find that situation uh, within our life to be true. And as I was walking here today, I was listening to a song, and I can't remember what song it was, um, but it's talking about Jesus being the light, and, and then the darkness flees. Does anybody know what song that is offhand? But you've heard it before, right? The darkness flees. And, and as I was walking, I was just struck with, like, how much that's true. We've got shadows on the wall, right? Why, why is there a shadow on the wall? The, the string of lights there. Does everybody see that? Why is there a shadow there? Because there's a light behind it, right? And, and so in a sense, the shadow, the darkness, is hiding behind something from the light. It's... The only time there's ever darkness is, is if there's something physically, here's light, here's something physically in the way, and, and so there's darkness on the other side, right? What happens if the light moves over? The darkness is gone. It moves. Now, now the light, here's a wall, the sun rises up, there's the darkness over here, the sun goes over the wall, all this darkness is gone, but where is it moved? It's fleed away from the light. Right? And, and so now here's the light and the darkness is kind of away from that. And, and I never really thought of that before, but how true it is. Like the darkness literally flees physically from, from the light in this world. And it happens the same thing spiritually. And so when it comes to passages like Philippians chapter 4 where we're commanded to rejoice in the Lord always, I say it again, rejoice, it's talking about all circumstances. Talking about good seasons and difficult seasons. Rejoice in the Lord always. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now connect that to our verse this morning. 
Ask anything in Jesus' name. If it fits within the framework of, of being within God's will and us co-workers with him, we find those things answered. And our joy is complete. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. You realize all of those things are light. And so if spiritually, emotionally, mentally, we dwell within light, the darkness must flee. If spiritually, mentally, emotionally, we dwell on difficulties, we find ourselves hiding behind the wall. And we just need to bring ourselves into the light. And the darkness will flee. We will find help. We will find our joy complete, even though it still might be a difficult situation, because we're going through it in the light with Christ, acknowledging it. Now, I think what happens is, uh, you know, the, the vampire movies, and right, if a vampire, like, walks into light, they're like, ah, you know, because they can't stand the light. Uh, that's a bit hyperbole, but what happens when you go to a movie theater? And, and you're sitting there in a darker room and you're focusing on something and you walk out of the movie theater in the middle of the day. Oh, I forgot my sunglasses. Right? And, and it's difficult. I think the same thing happens to us spiritually. That if we find ourselves in seasons where we're allowing ourselves to be distracted by how difficult something is, our focus is always on our difficult circumstances and how hard it is to go through it. And I don't deserve to go through it. And we can go down that rabbit hole. We're spending time in the shadow to the point where when we're like, oh, I could really use some light in my life. And we pop our head up. The sun is just like, this is too much. It's too hard. Oh, I'm in this darkness and I've been focusing so much on my difficulties. We pop our head off. I need to get into the Word. Spending five minutes in it feels so hard. And, and the longer that we may have stayed in shadow, perhaps the more difficult it is for us to get back into the light and to stay in the light. Maybe it doesn't even feel like light or truth anymore because we've gotten so used to the shadow. And what we have to stand on is simply the truth. Jesus died for us to have an intimate, connected, indwelling relationship with him, regardless of circumstance. That regardless of circumstance, he will use it for our good. He will grow us. We will become stronger if we walk with him. And that if we stay in the light, if we dwell on whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's moral excellence in anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. If we rejoice in the Lord always, regardless of circumstance, uh, let our graciousness be known, but through everything in prayer and petition, make our requests to God, we will have peace, regardless of the circumstance. And so if you find yourselves in a difficult situation, and maybe it's not all aspects of life. Maybe it's just some aspects of your life. And you say, I need more God in this. And you pop your head up and you're like, I need him in this. If you find resistance or if you find it's difficult, it's only because you've been accustomed to focusing on things other than him. And that if you press 
through that, right? You walk out of the movie theater, oh, I got to drive. It's not like, oh, let me turn around and go back in. If you press through that initial moment, you find that, no, this is where I need to be. This is where I can see. If you reflect on the reality that God spoke into existence, that darkness always feels from light, every time you look at a shadow, it should be a physical reminder of bring some light, bring some word, bring some truth, bring some prayer into a situation, and we find a joy in our relationship with God that outshines any darkness that we're in. Father, I thank you for the truth of this word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit makes it true to our lives. It is true to our lives. I just pray that our hearts and our minds would become aligned with this truth. That we would have the peace that transcends all understanding. That we would have the joy that eliminates the grief and sorrow of having to go through difficult situations. And that if we find it hard or we dread going through hard things, that we're reminded, we're just reminded of what you did and where we are now. That, that we live in an unprecedented time of intimate relationship with you. That no other human beings had until Christ's death and resurrection. After that moment, and only after that moment, did you indwell us and call us friends and co-workers and free and more than conquerors. And your promise to us as impossible as it may feel at times is that we are to have a fullness of joy here and now. Lord, I pray for a revelation and a, through the Holy Spirit for each person here today that presses that in and we understand and grasp the full true reality of that so that we walk forward in this life no longer dreading difficult things. Not anticipating them, but just walking with you through highs and lows as our friend, our Father, and our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.